the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. come this far by faith. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. With me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. This is going to be a seminal week in the teaching of Scripture. I pray you don't miss one broadcast. Now, we had considered that we would have to do offertories this week to cover the July bill. We've been praying about that, and there has been a serious drought 
financially for us in the month of July. By God's grace, that has broken. And we now are $240 short of being able to cover the entire bill for the month of July. Praise God. Praise God. Mm -hmm. This is a first. So we're going to just ask you, please, would you consider calling uh, our brother Kevin, who is our producer. You won't go on air. Just call him and tell him how much you would like to cover of that remaining $240. That's to the penny. Everything you give will go straight to pay the radio bill at WAVA. So the phone number is 877-534-0780. He's there now. He's available. Call. Tell him how much of that $240 you'd like to cover. We praise God that men and women have just stepped forward and covered almost the entire radio bill for this month. We know that's by faith in Jesus on their part and on our part. With partners like that, we just praise Jesus. This broadcast will go forward. So call 877-534-0780 as the program is moving forward and let us know how much of that 240 you can cover. We can't cover it. You can also give online by visiting nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. We just ask that if you choose to give by credit card, that you please do not go into debt to support this ministry. So you can give on PayPal. You're welcome to do that, a certain percentage they hold. Uh, but if that's the way you'd like to do it, you're welcome to. All right, let's go to the scriptures. We want to talk about some of the most powerful stuff we've ever discovered in scripture. Now, it's very clear to me that there has been a block in the Christian church in America. That's because there's a piece missing in our understanding. And we need to grasp that new understanding, catch the vision of what Jesus did for us. He did it in very concrete terms. And when we began to see the fullness of this, we were astonished that it's taken us so long to capture this vision. Let's go back to John the Baptist. I want to read for you a scripture. It's in Matthew, the 11th chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and I'm reading from the Lavender Translation. It's a literal translation of the scripture. Today I say to you, among those born of women, there has not appeared a greater than John the Baptizer, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is entered with burning zeal and the passionate eagerly claim it for themselves. So literally, Jesus said that John the Baptist was greater than even Moses. He was the greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets. But he's saying 
that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist or Moses. How is that possible? What's he talking about? Well, let's go back and talk about what John the Baptist did. He has been tragically underrated in the Christian church. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was in the womb. He was filled with the spirit and power of Elijah, but he did no miracles. He preached repentance and forgiveness or removal of sins, and he baptized in water. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? He led sinners to repent. He led sinners to understand that when they repented and they were baptized, their sins were forgiven and removed. Now, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what was John the Baptist's job? It was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. When John's parents brought him to be circumcised, his father prophesied over him. We find this in Luke 1, 76 and 78. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And then we see John baptizing, but he is demanding before baptism fruits of repentance. I just spoke with a, a man before coming on the air. I had just a minute. It was a brief conversation. He is wanting to become a Christian, but he is not wanting to cut off the television. He's not wanting to cut off other things in his life. And right now, he's in that in-between place, deciding whether he's going to leave everything of the world and serve Jesus. And he was angry this morning because he's having some prostate problems. He's struggling because his job is in jeopardy because he has not made the sales for the last several months that he needs to make to keep that job. Everything in his life seems to be crashing and he's saying, is this what happens when I follow Jesus? And so I immediately talked with him again this morning about Fox's Book of Martyrs and talked about those precious ones who were racked by Rome, tortured, and finally so broken of body they could not even walk. They had to be carried to the stake and chained to it because they could not remain upright with their legs broken from the horrendous torture they'd suffered, and they refused every offer of pardon if they would recant. Now, the scriptures also talk about these people in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. 
they would not turn from Jesus. And so I said to this man, you have to decide if you're going to lay your life down for Jesus. Well, John the Baptist's job was to come and urge people to lay their life down for Jesus by repenting of their sins and being baptized and showing fruit of repentance. John would not let people come and just say, I want to be baptized, while they still continued in their wicked ways. So the soldier comes and he says, what am I supposed to do? Don't extort money because you have power. Or the tax collector, what am I supposed Charge what you're supposed to charge and don't cheat the people. A man came and Jesus said, You mean John? John came, a man came to John and said, What do I do? And John said, If you have two cloaks, give one to someone who doesn't have one. In other words, share what you have. John wanted to see fruit and evidence that this person was serious. Now, Listen to this, Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now I want you to catch the contrast. John the Baptist is coming preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came, conceived by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, did thousands of miracles, preached God's kingdom had arrived, and now was the time to enter it. And he baptizes with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, please catch this. Almost the entire church in America has refused to enter the kingdom of God. Instead, they've wanted to remain with John the Baptist. Now the problem is, John the Baptist would not accept a sinning believer. When you confessed your sins and you were forgiven for those sins, John the Baptist expect you to walk clean from that day forward. This is before Jesus even came. This is not this is not happening in the church today. We believe in the... No, many believe in the sinning Christian. I don't. So John the Baptist came preaching repentance and forgiveness. And today almost everyone says the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you should repent of your sins and have your sins forgiven. That's not the gospel. That's the teaching of John the Baptist. I used to preach a very strong message on repentance. And a brother said to me, when are you going to move on from repentance? You're preaching John the Baptist. When are you going to enter the kingdom of God? And frankly, I was very upset with him. I said, what are you talking about? I am preaching the kingdom. He said, no, you're not. You're preaching John the Baptist. And he left and I never saw him again. But I've thought about it. And what God is showing us very plainly is that we're called to move beyond John the Baptist we're called to enter the kingdom of God the preparation for entering the kingdom of God is baptism it is turning away from sin it is repentance 
it is living in righteousness, and then you are ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, so let's talk a little bit about what is this kingdom of God, and we'll definitely be spending s several days or more on this subject. This is such a rich subject. Uh, we see in the book of Romans that the kingdom of God is described as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The word kingdom also can mean authority. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God coming on the earth, we're talking about the authority of God being exercised. And so by necessity, an element of that is total obedience to God. So a feature of the kingdom of God is that those who are in the kingdom are totally obedient to God. This is described, Jesus said, as loving God with the whole heart, the whole mind, the whole soul, and all of your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And closely linked to this is an aggressive fight for righteousness on the earth with no compromise with evil. Now the reason for that is because we recognize, first of all, that sin is destructive, that it destroys what God has created, it destroys families, it destroys people, it, it will ultimately send someone to hell. And so we don't tolerate sin because tolerating sin is unloving. It's not loving to let somebody go on in sin and not say anything and then see them end up in hell at the day of judgment. Jesus in Luke 17, 3 said, if we see a brother or sister sin to warn them. Now, this aggressive fight for righteousness on the earth, we can see it throughout the history of the church. And I'll just list a few examples. As Pastor Ray mentioned, we see from the very beginning, we have very brave early church Christians who are martyred for things like refusing to burn incense to Caesar. Then we get a little later and we see Robert Tyndale, or is it Robert? We see Tyndale who is burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. Now, why would he be so adamant about translating the Bible, even though he knew that he would probably be killed and in a rather brutal manner of being burned alive? It's because he saw the surpassing value of the Bible being available to the common person in their own language. And today, I mean, we can thank Tyndale, all of us, that we have a Bible to read. And that the way of salvation can be learned by each individual. This was not the case for many centuries. For many centuries, it was very difficult to get access to the scriptures at all, much less in a language that one could read. Now we come a little later and we get to the Quakers, who were uh, the, called the Society of Friends, a powerful revival started by George Fox in England. And there were many Quakers imprisoned because they refused to swear oaths. They said, well, Jesus said to swear not at all. So they refused to swear oaths in court and they were imprisoned. They refused to pay war taxes and were imprisoned. Some of these dear precious ones were not only imprisoned, but they were tortured. They would be branded. 
we have more modern day examples uh, over here in Occoquan, Virginia. There is a prison that still stands where a number of women were imprisoned for peacefully uh, standing outside the White House picketing for women's suffrage, for the right for women to vote. And they were imprisoned in Occoquan and they were fed rotting food that had worms in it, they were beaten, and eventually they were released. The more modern day examples of just recently, one of my friends who is a pro-life missionary, she shared two of her colleagues have been pr imprisoned, they've been jailed be in their fight against abortion. And so they recognize themselves as prisoners of conscience. Now, we what we see in this is that there is this idea or this motivating belief that the kingdom of God is to come on the earth in society. It is not merely a personal thing between me and Jesus, but it is worth being imprisoned for, it is worth suffering for, it is worth dying for, for God's authority to truly be exercised on the earth, for sin to be abolished from the face of the earth. Now, this aggressive taking of the kingdom is backed by faith and the knowledge that God is always on the side of the righteous. For example, Christ said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and preach the gospel. And he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. We see in the Psalms that God pleads the cause of the oppressed, that God is against those who do evil. And this mentality, this way of thinking that, God, if I do what is right, if I take the side of righteousness, then God will fight for me and I will be victorious in my cause, even if that means I personally suffer or die. We see this, for example, in Patrick Henry's famous speech, Give me liberty or give me death, which prompted the American colonies to take up arms against Britain. This is a short quote from his speech. Patrick Henry says, Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature has placed in our power. Three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. We shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. And that is in fact exactly what happened during the American Revolutionary War. But you see this way of thinking, Patrick Henry was saying, it is a holy cause of liberty for us to take up arms against Britain. And if we align ourselves with a just God, we will be invincible. He will raise up the friends we need to help us prevail. Now, another feature of the kingdom, Jesus said that he came to bring a sword or to bring division between those who believe and those who don't. But he also came to bring peace among those who do believe. And that's why we see in that scripture I opened with, 
that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and that this is a present experience so that among the people of God, we should in a, in a way already be experiencing heaven on the earth in our love, in our peace, in our joy with one another. Yet at the same time, there is this separation between those who will believe and those who will not believe. And another key feature of this kingdom is power. And this power includes the destruction of everything evil, but also the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. So we can look a little bit more in depth at this. I'm just going to walk through some scriptures. There are a number of scriptures in the New Testament that say things like, The Son of God appeared to and then fill in the blank. There's actually quite a few of these scriptures that just make a direct statement as to why Jesus came. So understanding why Jesus came helps us understand what the kingdom of God is, since we know he came to preach the kingdom. I want to give a broad, broad outlook very quickly so that you'll have a context for what Alexandra is going to say to you. There is the kingdom of God spoken of everywhere in the New Testament. Kingdom is not geographic only. It is authority. So you'll find scriptures that say the kingdom of God is within you. Yes. What does that mean? It means that you have accepted the authority of God over your life and you are involved in the fight to remove the devil's power and influence and destruction from the earth. So do you remember what the Great Commission was? Remember what Jesus said at the end of Matthew regarding the Great Commission? I could quote it for you, but I, I want to look it up in lavender very quickly. And I want to read it to you. Um, and Jesus having come near spoke to them saying all authority was given to me in heaven and on earth that means Jesus has all authority on the earth after having gone you must make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep all things whatever I commanded you and pay attention I am with you all the days until the end of the age now literally Jesus is saying you must go out and make disciples not of just an individual not just a city your charge is to take nations for Jesus it means literally we lay our lives down to destroy the work of the devil in the earth, in the lives of people, in the church, everywhere. Love, joy, peace, all of these are things of God that must come. How do they come? Through Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, pushing back 
the forces of darkness and destroying them because all authority was given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Yes, and note that he says that these disciples are to be taught to keep or to obey everything that Jesus commanded. So again, we see the idea that the setting up of God's kingdom is that he is producing disciples who are totally obedient to God, who love him first, who love others. And so we see this is this is why the angels in the book of Luke, when they came to the shepherds, they said that the coming of Christ meant peace on earth among men of good will. I mean, do you understand? Love is the power of God to release a man from the devil's hold, to set him free, completely free. And love is the power that destroys the bondage that Satan has brought with his wickedness into the world. Yes, and I'm sure you could go down to Washington, D.C. and talk to some children there whose parents have never been married, who, whose parents continue to sleep around with different men and women. And you could ask them, you could say, so it's sin for your parents to be fornicating. Has that brought destruction to your life? Has that hurt you? And I think they would universally say yes. This has been a negative influence on my life. And so what we have to see is that sin is truly evil, that it destroys everything that is good, everything that is pure, everything that is perfect, innocence, love, peace. They're all destroyed by sin. And so Jesus came to destroy sin itself and to bring in the love and the peace and the joy and the righteousness of God. Now, you just said something interesting. You're referring now to sin as an object. And Jesus came to destroy that object called sin. Yes, this is one of the most interesting and exciting things we see that Jesus came to do. We see this in 1 John 3, 8. The Apostle John writes, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now we see this even more clearly that the works of the devil are sin in several other scriptures. For example, in Romans 8, 3, the Apostle Paul writes, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, meaning now in our present lives, as we live in these bodies, sin has been condemned by Jesus. This is said all throughout the New Testament, Hebrews 9.26 but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. 1 John 3, 5, But you know that Christ appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And Hebrews nine fourteen says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, 
Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I especially like this last passage because it shows both the destruction of sin and the cleansing of the conscience so that we can serve God. So what we see is we see strong language used to describe Jesus is destroying sin, destroying the works of the devil, doing away with it, taking sin away, condemning sin. The sin is gone when Jesus comes. Let me read the full passage from the Romans uh, chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus. John the Baptist came preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. You then enter the gospel, the kingdom of God. They're synonymous. You're in Christ Jesus, so there's no condemnation. Not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. People say to me, Pastor, you can't ever stop sinning. Not until you die. Oh, so the law of sin and death still rule over your life. You haven't entered the kingdom of God yet. You're still under John the Baptist, and he's going to say, produce fruit according to repentance, or I don't want to baptize you. Verse 3, For the inability of the law, in that it was weak by the means of the flesh, God having sent his own Son in the similarity of flesh with reference to sin and concerning sin, he brought down judgment upon sin while in the flesh. He brought down judgment upon sin. He condemned sin so that we're no longer condemned. Amen. Now, what's interesting is we might then say, well, is sin the only work of the devil that Jesus destroys? And what we see is as we read through the narratives, the Gospels, that there are other works of the devil that Jesus destroyed. So Jesus indicated that sickness and demonic possession are also works of the devil. And the narratives of the Gospels show Jesus continually destroying Satan's kingdom on every hand. At no point in the four Gospels does Jesus face defeat, meaning at no point is he unable to heal a sick person who comes to him. At no point is he unable to cast out a demon. So we can look, for example, at Luke 13 verse 16 there is a woman who has who is crippled she has been bent over and unable to stand up straight for 18 years and Jesus said Satan has bound this woman a daughter of Abraham for 18 years shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day and then he heals her so what I want you to see here is that this crippling this sickness Jesus says is a work of the devil. He says Satan has bound her and he then goes and releases her from that bondage. If you look also at Hebrews 7 verse 24, the writer of Hebrews says, but because he continues forever, that is Jesus, he has an unchangeable priesthood for which reason he is able to save completely. It's the same Greek word that you just used talking about the crippled woman. 
who was made to stand up straight. Likewise, the writer of Hebrews is saying, he will make us stand up straight. That is without sin. Amen. And now in another account, we see Jesus casting out a demon and this demon is making a person mute, unable to speak. And some of the crowd accuses Jesus that he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. So Jesus replies, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who was not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. That's Luke eleven twenty to 23. So what we see here is first that Jesus indicates that this muteness, this demonic possession is a work of the devil and that he, Jesus, has overpowered and it says he has attacked and overpowered the devil. He's taken away all the devil's armor on which he relied and distributed his plunder. And Jesus says that this fact that he's casting out demons means that God's kingdom has already come. So the kingdom of God began with Jesus being baptized in the Holy Spirit and then beginning his ministry. And he compared the kingdom of God to leaven that was hidden in a lump of dough until the whole of the dough was leavened. So Jesus began just as that little bit of leaven that was worked into the dough. And what we then see happening is that spreads throughout the entire earth. Now, this is where another key thing that Jesus came to do comes in. Jesus said in Luke 12, 49 to 50, I came to cast fire upon the earth. How I wish that it was already ablaze. I have a baptism to experience. I must experience how I am distressed until it's completed. Now we know from the Matthew 3.11 passage that Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus is saying in this passage that he came to send the Holy Spirit and fire to the earth in his people and that he wishes it had already been sent. He wishes it were already ablaze. However, he must first suffer, die, and rise from the dead before this Holy Spirit and fire can come to us and can then be that leaven going out to bring the kingdom. He says in Luke 13, 32, so just a few verses after that passage, Look, I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. And we know that on the cross, Jesus said it is finished. So the work of Jesus is not limited to only the cross. The work of Jesus began from the time he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. As he says, I'm throwing out demons and healing people. And it did not reach its completion until the cross and resurrection of Jesus, which then allowed us to receive the Holy Spirit. This is confirmed when we compare this to John 7, 38 to 39. Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being... 
will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, we could not receive the Holy Spirit until Jesus had completed his work on the cross. John 16, 7, Jesus said, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And so what's incredible is that Jesus has entrusted this work of reclaiming the earth, of bringing the earth once again under the authority of God, defeating the devil, that he has given this work to the church. He could have done it himself. He did not have to allow himself to be crucified. He could have come and just taken over the world for, for God himself. Or after he was raised from the dead, he could have gone forward and would have never died again, we might suppose. And taken back the earth but that's not what he did so we see the same commission that was given to Adam and Eve God created the earth God created Adam and Eve and he gave them both the, com the commission to subdue the earth and now we see in the new covenant the same thing being done God has created the earth there was a fall but Jesus came as the second or new Adam so that we could then be redeemed and empowered by him and then go and fulfill that original commission to subdue the earth, to bring it into obedience to God. So, what is the gospel? Well, in simplest terms, the gospel is the power of God to bring God's kingdom from heaven to earth. And as Alexandra just clearly said, this includes destroying every work of the devil, sin, sickness, insanity, oppression, and setting up God's kingdom authority on the earth. We witness this through Jesus' ministry. Yes, and let me just say here, we sometimes hear Christians say things like, the devil is the prince of this world, or the devil's the god of this world. But let's look at what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 12:31, he said, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And then in John 16, 11, he says, The prince of this world has been condemned. Hebrews 2:14 tells us, Therefore, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So just look at these verbs. These are the verbs that the scripture uses to describe Satan's current position. Satan is cast out, he is condemned, and he is destroyed. All authority now belongs to Jesus Christ. This was accomplished, Hebrews says, by the death of Jesus, by his blood by that atonement that he made. So now the only thing waiting, the only reason that we've gone on 2,000 years since this has happened is that Christians by and large have not caught this vision of the kingdom of God. And I'm so eager for you today to catch this vision, to see that God intends 
not just to save a few individuals, not just to write off the great mass of humanity as too difficult to save, but that he intends to truly save the world through Jesus. John 3:17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in other words, as we come and we say I want to pray for revival in Washington DC. Well, we know God's intention is to bring revival to Washington DC. When we talk about revival, we're just talking about the kingdom of God coming on the earth. And that is to save it. So God would not have sent his son if he just intended on destroying everything anyway. God sent his son so that there would be an empowered people called the church who have the full baptism of the Holy Spirit who then go forward and break this horrible bondage of Satan that is today holding so many, probably even of you, in bondage to sickness to discouragement, to thinking, how can I ever save my family members? I have no power to win the lost. Jesus came to destroy all of this. When you read the story of Acts, it's very clear. It is the norm for every Christian to be baptized in the Pentecost baptism of power and fire. Fire for total cleansing and power to do the work of the kingdom of God. Now, many of us, and I include myself here, very foolishly have lived only in John the Baptist's message. We've never crossed over that barrier and finally said, okay, I am selling out for Jesus. I am abandoning my life to the work of the kingdom of God. Now, I'll tell you the advantage of staying with John the Baptist. You can sin and repent, sin and repent, even though John the Baptist would never agree with that. But you can go to many popular churches today, Baptist, Anglican, and others, and in their Sunday worship service, they will have a confession of sin. We have not loved our neighbor as we ought. We have sinned against you, Almighty God. We repent, and then you're absolved by the priest or the pastor. Well, that's John the Baptist stuff. And so the people are kept in bondage so they can have their normal American life and never be called to lay their life down for the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is the good news that the kingdom of God is now on the earth. And you can be a part of that kingdom. Yes, and to be a part of the kingdom is always to serve in the kingdom. We see this over and over in the parables that Jesus used. He talks about sending workers into his vineyard. He talks about giving his servants talents to trade with while he is gone. So to enter the kingdom of God is always to enter as a servant, as I shared at the beginning, with the intention of bringing in righteousness to the earth. And righteousness simply means innocence. Included in that is love and joy and peace. And if you are not working today to advance the cause of the kingdom of God, you're still under John the Baptist. 
And I just want to add here, this woman I shared who had been bound by Satan 18 years, who Jesus healed, he calls her a daughter of Abraham, meaning she was a child of God. She had, she had possibly been baptized by John the Baptist, but she was what Jesus would have considered part of the family of God. She was not a sinner, is what I'm saying. Now, why wasn't she healed when she was baptized? Well, in fact, no one was healed when they were baptized. John did no miracles at all. It was not until Jesus came that anybody was healed. And then we see the crippled, the maimed, the blind, the deaf, the mute, all of them being healed by Jesus. So I say this because I've seen so many in the Christian church who I do really believe have been sincerely converted. They have left their sin. They are walking clean with God. And yet they have tried to trust God for healing and they have not been healed. And they've said, what's the problem? I don't know what to do. Well, the problem is that we have not entered into the kingdom. We've only been prepared. We've been the people prepared for the Lord. But it's only when we actually come into Jesus and his kingdom that we can receive those healings. So I want you to know that it's not hopeless. If you feel like, I can't get out of this bondage. Why isn't this bondage being broken? I know I'm walking righteous with God. I know I'm clean with God. It's because we've, we've short-circuited the gospel. We've basically chopped off the gospel. And so when we recognize that, then we can come to Jesus in faith. And we'll talk more about that later this week, about entering the kingdom. One more scripture I wanted to say, share. 1 John 4:14, 4, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, I, I just want to clarify, we're not saying that every single individual will be converted. We know that that's not the case. Jesus clearly said that there would be tares among the wheat, that there, there would be a division in families between the mother and the daughter, between the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. But what it does mean is that the world as a whole is freed from the bondage of Satan and God's kingdom is unleashed. Now, you understand why at the National Prayer Chapel we've chosen to do what they did in Acts. The church in Acts that Jesus established was a prayer meeting. And so the National Prayer Chapel gathers to pray for the Sunday time of worship. We come to pray for the baptism, the full baptism of Pentecost power of the Holy Spirit because the kingdom of God is about power and purity. It's about service to God the greatest heartbreak for me is that I've worked almost all of my life in gospel work and seen relatively small result. Why? Because of an absence of this kingdom of God power. And I'm willing to do what Jesus said. I'm willing to wait for the Lord to send the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you? 
Do you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to move on beyond repentance for sin into righteousness and into piety, into purity, into walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Then it requires total abandonment of your life. Yes, and I would just add, a good, perhaps a good illustration of this is we see the Emperor Constantine, who was never baptized, never formally became a Christian, and yet did incredible advances for the kingdom of God on the earth. So this is what I mean. I seriously doubt that Constantine's soul was saved. However, God used him to bring about the kingdom of God on the earth. And so the the image the understanding here is that it's through the gospel it's through the church that the world is reclaimed and then christ comes to establish his reign on the earth and bring in the everlasting kingdom well we're out of time for today's broadcast but we're going to continue this study tomorrow you've been listening to pilgrim's progress and we would love to hear from you you can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And we were still at the beginning, and I don't know if we still are, $240 short for radio for this month. You're welcome to call 877-534-0780 quickly to make a pledge to help cover that $240. Please also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again. You can give online. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Great joy with great joy. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.